from the book of John, and as I mentioned, just I'm going to do just a real quick recap, and then we'll get into the new stuff. But the book of John is different from the other Gospels. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Matthew, Mark, and Luke are what they call synoptic Gospels. Matthew, Mark, and Luke, for the most part, are a very chronological telling of the life of Jesus and the ministry of Jesus. John comes around, and he writes a little bit different. He's not so much interested in the chronological uh, portrayal of the history and, and how everything played out. John really, he, he wrote his gospel for a very specific purpose, and he wanted to prove and, and make sure you understood that Jesus was God manifest in the flesh. He's not just a prophet. He wasn't just a good man. He, he wasn't just... Uh, uh, even you know something spiritual that, that happened to come down to earth but it was God himself becoming like you and I manifest God incarnate and so he uses different things and he breaks it down He every miracle that, that, that John chose to portray portrays a side of the divinity of Jesus Christ everything that Jesus said every uh, uh, little sermon or diatribe or dialogue that John chose to include in his writing is, is, is chosen very carefully. And uh, there's a deep study you can do on the book of John. But one of the things that you find within the, the, the book of John are seven I am statements of Jesus. It harkens back to Exodus chapter 3. And I'm not going to go through it all, but Exodus chapter 3, when Moses came face to face with God, in the burning bush and he asked the Lord who are you who, who, how do I know who you are what am I going to say you are and the answer comes back God says tell them I am that I am Jehovah I am and, and Jesus comes along and he begins to use that same phrase I am and then he'll add a few things. He says, I am, the first one we did last week, I am the bread of life. And, and we begin to look how uh, John compared, in Jesus' own words, compared uh, what Jesus is and who he is and what he's come to do as the manna that fell in the wilderness there in, the, uh, you know, there in, in Exodus time. And then he goes on to say, I am the light of the world. John and even 1 John uh, tends to, to read a lot into that light metaphor. That he came into a dark world. He came into a world blinded by, by their own uh, religions, if you will. Blinded by sin. Blinded by their flesh. And, and they could not recognize what was happening. But Jesus comes and he pierces the darkness and he shines a light and he confronts uh, the false teachings and he... He confronts the things that, that were going there. And it's it, it, again, it's a little bit of a reminder of the, the candle in the temple or the, the tower of fire, the pillar of fire that would be there as well. And the light. He said, I am the light. And then we, we ended last week talking about him, uh, Jesus saying, I am the door. I am the door to the sheepfold. And in that, uh, we, we took a little bit from John chapter 9. And if you remember John chapter 9, Jesus heals a blind man. And uh, uh, he goes into the, uh, the synagogue and he's 
they're, are, are, and they're, they're amazed that he's healed. He was blind from birth. I, I, we don't understand. And they begin to ask, you know, who did this? Well, Jesus did this. And they, uh, the rulers of the synagogue did not like what was happening. And so John chapter 9 tells us that they excommunicated the healed blind man. And Jesus uses this as a launching point and a springboard to say, I'm the door. You can come through me into life eternal and salvation and, and come into the flock of God. And, uh, you know, a true shepherd has to come through the door. All the others are thieves and robbers. They're stealing. And, and he makes that analogy, I am. When you go through the door, you receive life and salvation. When you go out the door, it's abundant life that you get. It's the rich pastures. It's the fullness of living. And But then, and th this is the new part tonight, then he, he changes the metaphor and he says, I am, this is John chapter 10, verse 11, if you want to turn there. John chapter 10, verse 11 through 14. He then begins to say, I am the good shepherd. John chapter 10, verse 11, I'm the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He that is a hired hand and not a shepherd who does not own the sheep sees the wolf coming, leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them, and he flees because he's a hired hand, cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own, and my own know me. This is the fourth statement that Jesus makes in John's gospel. The fourth I am. And he is contrasting himself with all of these false shepherds who was in charge of the Jewish religion. And, and I use that phrase on purpose, Jewish religion. They had changed it from what God had intended. They had changed it from what God had planned. And now it had become simply another religion. In fact, Jesus held no punches when it came to talking about the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the priests of that day. He had already called them thieves and robbers, and now he belittles them again, and he says, you're nothing but a hireling. He said, I am the good shepherd, intrinsically good. Everything about me, right and fair. I'm the ideal, I'm the model that everyone else should imitate. I am the good shepherd. In that statement, it's inherently uh, specified that the Lord's goodness is simply His nature. In fact, Mark chapter 10 later on would say to call Him good is the same thing as calling Him God because God and good, God and goodness are synonymous. The very nature of God is good. Throughout the Bible, there are many different shepherds mentioned. There's Abel. There's the patriarchs. Moses was a shepherd. David was a shepherd. You can even go now and still shepherds are part of the fabric of the Holy Land and you can see that. And the, the understanding which may be lost on our Western knowledge, we're so used to, to ranchers, we're so used to cowboys, we don't think a lot about shepherds, but a shepherd knows his sheep. A shepherd leads the flock. A shepherd knows the individual traits. It knows the needs of each individual sheep. And, and, and understand that unless, unless they needed food or unless 
they were going to offer a sheep as a sacrifice, the, the main reason for raising sheep was not to kill them. Main reason for raising sheep was you got wool, you got milk, you got new sheep, and and so it was. And so there are four uh, things, four ministries that happens that Jesus does because he's the good shepherd. The first is he dies for the sheep. This we know this, okay, I get that. I, again, Wednesday night crowd, I'm, I'm aware of who I'm talking to, but I want you to realize the, the dichotomy. Under the old dispensation, under the law, the sheep died for the shepherd. Under the old law, the shepherd would, would raise the sheep and feed the sheep and care for the sheep. But then when that time came for their sins to be atoned, they would have to take that sheep and that innocent sheep would then have to give his life for the shepherd. But the good shepherd comes along and now he dies for his sheep. Five times in this sermon, in John chapter 10, verse 11, 15, 17, and 18, Jesus is telling you, reminding you, and, and foreshadowing. We know it, but for them, they, he was foreshadowing that he is the sacrifice. And when he died, I know it was the Romans that drove the nails through his hands. I know it was the Jews that, that trumped up the charges and brought him into a, uh, you know, some kangaroo court. I get that. But you need to understand, Jesus did not die as a martyr at the hands of anybody. Jesus said, I laid down my life for them. He died as our substitute. He died as our propitiation as we talked about Sunday morning. He died for the sheep, willingly lie, laying down his life for us. He died for the nation of Israel. He died for the world. And here's the thing about the, the blood of Jesus. I need to go help him out. <clears throat> My ADD can't handle that one. I'll just stop and want to listen to them. When he says he died for the sheep, there's something that we can isolate or, 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 or look at that, and I want you to listen. The blood of Jesus is sufficient for all mankind. When Jesus laid down his life on the cross, the blood that was shed, the sacrifice that was made, is sufficient from Adam to the very last person born before he comes back. However many trillions and whatever comes after trillions of people that may be born, the blood is sufficient. However, let's change the word for a moment. It is only efficient for those who believe. That's where some people get it wrong. Yes, it's sufficient. But if you never do anything about it, then it's never been applied to your life. It's never been efficient for you. It's never worked in your stead. But I'm thankful that I have believed. I'm thankful that I have trusted. I'm thankful that I have called on him and done what the word said. I've went down in the waters of baptism and let the blood of Jesus be applied to my life because I believed. When Jesus contrasted those hirelings with himself, he, he was saying that, that uh, uh, the, the, the hirelings, they are only there because they get paid. If there's danger, 
the hireling has to think for a moment and say, I'm getting paid five bucks an hour. Here comes this big old bear. Is my life worth five bucks an hour? And he says, nope. And he takes off running. Now, that is contrasted with what should have been. Uh, uh, Amos, the book of Amos tells us that there was a law of the shepherd that you needed to fight for the sheep and you needed to prove you fought for the sheep even if you bring back a piece of an ear or maybe a little piece of a leg you got to show you fought but now we've gotten to the place where it's just hirelings that were watching the flock and, and they would scatter when the going would get tough but he said I'm the true shepherd I stay and I care for the flock but when he looks at those hirelings, the key phrase is, whose own the sheep are not. My dad has taught me something in my life, and that is things that you didn't purchase, things that you didn't work for. You don't take care of them the same as things you purchased and you worked for. Anybody understand what I'm saying? But when Jesus stands at his flock, not only is he the shepherd, But he purchased that flock. He purchased those sheep. They're his because the purchase required the blood that was shed for him. And they belong to him and he cares for them. And, And so if anything was to come against the flock, Jesus could stand there and say, I've already died for them once. I've already purchased them. Nothing's gonna set me back. Nothing's gonna rock me on my heels. They're mine. I'm the good shepherd. Those shepherds, they, the, the, all throughout the Bible, we're compared to sheep. And uh, we need a shepherd. Old, the, the old song and, and, and writings of Wesley, way back in the 1800s, he uses the phrase that sheep were prone to wander. We need a shepherd. And those sheep, it's a beautiful picture. The sheep trust the shepherd. And the shepherd takes care of the sheep. But in contrast, those Pharisees, those Sadducees, those religious leaders, they have no loving concern for the beggar. They had no loving concern for the guy that had been blind all of his life and now God had healed him. And and even if they didn't want to believe it, you'd at least thought, well, man, I'm so glad you can see now. But they didn't have that concern because they hadn't purchased him. They hadn't fought for him. They hadn't bled for him. And so they put him out of the synagogue but let's go back. I'm the door of the sheep. Jesus found that one lost sheep. Just look at it in its in just the simplest understanding. They kicked him out of the synagogue. Jesus found him and said, Here, come in. Follow me. I care for you. I know you're just a, an old beggar that 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 that's now been been saved and 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 now you can see, but let me find you. Let me care for you. He's the good shepherd. The second thing that he does is he knows his sheep. In the Gospel of John, when you see that word know, it's so much more than just uh, intellect or knowledge. It's so much more than that. It speaks of the intimate relationship that God has with his people. He knows his sheep. He knows how to minister to them. Look at the Bible. Jesus knew the names. He knew Simon even gave him a new name later. He called Zacchaeus by name. 
Even in John chapter 20 in the garden after uh, uh, Jesus had, had, had resurrected and Mary is coming to the tomb and she sees an empty tomb and she's sitting down and she's weeping because she thinks somebody stole the body of Jesus. And Jesus is standing there. She doesn't recognize him, supposing him to be the gardener. And he calls her by name, Mary. And when he says that word, then knowledge, she realizes this is my shepherd. He knows not only our names, but he knows our natures. While perhaps sheep are alike in most qualities, every sheep also has individual characteristics, has individual uh, uh, thing traits, and the shepherd knows that one sheep might be afraid of dark places, another might be afraid of high places, another might might need a little uh, heavier hand when it comes to, to, to leading them, others perhaps, but the good shepherd knows. Take the 12 disciples. Look at how different they were. Jesus didn't go pick 12 people that were carbon copies of each other. Peter, impulsive, outspoken, brash, a lot of times said the wrong thing. Thomas was hesitant, even doubting, if you will. Andrew was a people person always finding someone to bring to Jesus. Judas had his own foibles and he used people, if you will. But Jesus knew each of those men personally. And with the exception of Judas, and Judas just didn't give Jesus a chance. With the exception of Judas, the Lord used every one of those disciples in their own ways for his kingdom because he knew them. He's the good shepherd. Because he knows our names, because he knows our natures, he also knows our needs. Psalms 23 is that beautiful psalm, how he shares through the pastures, by the waters, through the valleys. Don't fear, the shepherd's caring for you, meeting the needs. And if you connect Psalms 23 verse 1 and Psalms 23 Verse 6, you get the theme. I shall not want all the days of my life. That's what the shepherd does. And as the shepherd cares for the sheep, every day that they're in the care of that great shepherd, the sheep know the shepherd better. And the shepherd knows his sheep. And the sheep know him. They know him better by listening to his voice. They listen to the word. They experience the hand of him on their life each and every day. And as the sheep follow the shepherd they learn to love him they learn to trust him and he loves his own and he also says in that passage he brings other sheep into the flock and it's a understanding that the fold first was the Jews but then he brought in the other sheep the Gentiles like you and I he concentrated on the lost sheep of Israel early but when they denied it then he went to uh, those Gentiles there one fold, one flock. There's only one people. There's no division in the kingdom of God. There's no dividing lines in the kingdom of God. You're not rich or poor or, or black or white or Jew or Gentile. He said you're one sheep, one flock, and you're mine. By the way, John didn't lose the missionary message of John, uh, uh, of Jesus rather, for the Gospel of John summed up perhaps even John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever will could come in. Whosoever will could come in. 
And not only did the good shepherd give his life for you voluntarily, not only did he do that, but he takes up his life again. And I want you to listen very carefully because this is one of the most beautiful uh, understandings of, of the, the, the oneness nature of God. Jesus voluntarily laid down his life, but later he victoriously picked it up again. And so maybe you and I, if we weren't, if we're just looking at the picture on a on a just a surface understanding, we'd say, well, he was executed. But he wasn't. He laid down his life willingly. He cried on the cross. It is finished. And he yielded up his spirit. And three days later, he voluntarily picked his life up again. That's a powerful statement. And I know Acts 2, 32 and Romans 6, chapter 4, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 20. Scripture will say it's the Father that raised up the Son. But here Jesus says, I picked up my own life. Well, the only way that can happen is if those two are one. Both are true. And and he... he uh, in a previous sermon, Jesus had hinted, he said, I have the power to raise myself from the dead. That's John 5, 26. And it was a claim that the Jews would lose their mind when Jesus would make statements like that. Because when Jesus would say, I can raise myself from the dead, he was basically saying, I am God. And they'd rip their hair out. There was division. John chapter 10, verse 19, after this little sermon on the good shepherd, it says that there was division, therefore, again, among the Jews. And it's that old accusation. They, they, they would start hurling the accusation. Ah, you're demonic. Oh, you're, you're, you're doing all this because you're of your of Beelzebub. You're, you're doing that because they could not face the truth that Jesus was telling them, I am God. He's the door. And here's the thing about doors. If you have a door, you have to expect division. Because doors will hold people out or doors will let people in. He's the good shepherd. He separates, he separates the sheep from the goats. And you can't be neutral when it comes to Jesus. You're either going to believe in him or you're not. And then he makes his, his next statement. John chapter 11, verse 25. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he dies, yet he shall live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? This is the fifth of the Lord's I am statements. Uh, who was it that just preached recently? I think his brother uh, Jeremy Hart preached an incredible message about... Uh, uh, Mary and Martha and Lazarus and, and, and you, you see that. It's important to note that, that Jesus, he, he, didn't, he didn't deny what Martha said about, I know in the last days he'll rise again. But Jesus wanted to prove something today. The, the resurrection of the body is crucial to the Orthodox Jewish faith in that time. But here he transforms the doctrine of the resurrection. He brings that doctrine of the resurrection out of the shadows and into the light. In fact, if I could be honest, 
if you could read some in Psalms and some in Ecclesiastes, you, you might get the understanding that death was final, that there's nothing after that. And because of, of the fact that the Old Testament revelation about death and resurrection isn't really clear or concise, it had led false teachers like the Sadducees to use those passages to say that there will be no resurrection. Uh, read Acts chapter 23 and verse 6. Acts chapter 23 and verse 6. Uh, Paul is, is, is at a trial and he's, they're, they're grilling him and things don't look good and he realizes that there's Sadducees and Pharisees at his trial. And so Paul, he's really smart, has nothing to do with what he's talking about he starts talking about, is there resurrection of the dead? And the Sadducees and Pharisees start fighting so much that they forget about Paul and what's going on. And so it is that Jesus brings clarity to what's going on. In his teaching, in his miracles, by his own resurrection, he is making sure that you and I know that there is going to be a resurrection of our bodies. He's declared once and for all, yes, death is real, but there is life after death, and the body one day will be raised by the power of God. We sung about it just a little bit ago. But he also transformed this doctrine another way. He took the doctrine out of a book, out of a word, and he put it into a person. He said, this isn't just something written down. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. I'm thankful for what the Bible teaches. I know Martha, all she had was the Old Testament when she's trying to formulate her, her understanding of what she believes in. But listen to me right now. You are saved not by, and, and, and I may be on, on, on don't, don't, let, don't let me uh, confuse you for a moment. But you're not saved by a book. Even this book. You're saved by the person. If there was no person of Jesus Christ, this book would be useless. All the doctrines contained in there would be naught if there wasn't uh, Jesus coming to the scene and saying, I am the resurrection and the life. When you know him by faith, you need not fear the shadow of death. But perhaps the greatest transformation that Jesus performed in this was that he moved the doctrine of the resurrection from something in the future to something into the present. Martha believed. I mean, she said, I know he'll rise again, but I'll be gone and I, I won't really see it. I know he'll rise again. And Jesus said, well, I know he'll rise again, but he can rise right now. Lazarus, come forth. They said, oh, Jesus, if you'd have been here, you could have prevented Lazarus from dying. But Jesus was, he, he was trying to focus them on the present that wherever he is now, the resurrection power is there now. Now, I'm going I'm to take this just a little bit out because it's absolutely wrapped up around the physical resurrection of Lazarus' body. 
I get that, I understand that, and, and I'm going to preach that, and I believe it, but could I take it, this context out of life and death of the body for a moment and just let you know that we sing a lot of songs and we preach a lot and we like to say that when we get to heaven there'll be no more tears and no more sorrow and no more sickness, but you have to understand that God can do some of that right now too. Just because there are things in your life and things in your in your your spiritual uh, 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 walk with God that may be dead, you're not waiting for a tomorrow type experience. Whenever you're in the presence of God, He can resurrect it today. He said, "I am the resurrection and the life. I'm the resurrection and the life." And when she began, or when he rather, when when Jesus began to say that. And Jesus began to speak on that. Martha didn't hesitate and she said three different things, three different titles. She called him Lord, she called him Christ or Messiah, and she called him uh, the Son of God. And she said, I believe. It's a fixed faith, a perfect faith, a settled faith. I have believed and I will continue to believe. And then... He steps into John chapter 14 and verse 6. And Jesus said to him, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus is not simply teaching the way. Jesus is not pointing the way. He is the way. This is the difference in every other religion that I know of. Muhammad came. And he pointed the way of Allah. Joseph Smith came and he pointed the way of of, of that faith. But Jesus says, I'm not a prophet. I'm not a holy man. I am the way. No one comes to the Father but by me. And that emphatic statement wipes out every other way that you think you might can get to heaven. There's no good works. There's no religious ceremonies. There's no costly gifts. There's no bribes. There's no sacrifices. Nothing. There is only one way, and that is Jesus Christ. And let me give you a challenge. Are you ready? Go get you a Bible that has the, 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 the words of Jesus in red letters. And go read all of Jesus' words and come back to me and, and, and show me that everything that I preach, everything that we talk about, everything this church is in is found even just within the red letter teachings of Jesus Christ. I am the way. And then the last that, that comes is... Uh, He says it in John chapter 15 and verse 1, and then a little bit later in John chapter 15 and verse 5. He says, I'm the true vine. My father is the vine dresser. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. I don't have to spend a lot of time on this. I've preached messages this year on the vine. The vine is Jesus We're just the branches. He's the true vine, the original of which all other vines are copies. It's it's a symbolism that that go it's similar to saying that he's the head and we're the body. The 
point is there's a living relationship that we have by belonging to Christ and being in Christ. One person said this, it's a living union, it's a loving union, and it's a lasting union. The branch by itself is useless, it's weak. In fact, Ezekiel tells Ezekiel 15, it says that it's good for either burning or bearing, or, but, but you can't even hardly build on the, on the branches of a vine. The branch can't produce life on its own. It has to draw that life from the vine. So the images that we begin to see given in Scripture here, it just reminds us of two words. Union, connection, and communion, relationship. Watch. It's the body and its members. It's the bride and the bridegroom. It's the sheep and the shepherd. talked about my parents in 1976 there was a union and I'm thankful for that I'm thankful for marriages here in a little bit there'll be another union where Tracy and Darren get married <laughs> but let me help you out Tracy and Darren you can have that marriage all you want if you don't have the communion, the relationship, the daily connection, then that doesn't mean as much. It's a union and a communion. Yes, the shepherd can bring the sheep into the flock, and that's great. But if you don't follow that shepherd every day to the green pastures, if you don't follow that shepherd every day to the still waters, then what's the purpose? And so it is that when we discover we're just the branches the better we realize our own weakness we say I need to connect I need to need to bring to, to, to pull my, my sustenance from the vine and the key word here is abide 11 times it's used in John chapter 15 it means to continue it means to remain it means to stay in that fellowship with Christ it means to, to stay connected. It means staying in the Word of God and, and staying in that communion and staying in that relationship and staying in that obedience. It's not a one-time thing. It's a daily thing. Abide. Abide. One, one commentator made this statement, said, how, how can we tell when we're abiding in Christ because there's not really any special feeling. You don't get goosebumps just because you're abiding with Christ. But instead, it's the evidences that you see and they're clear. If you abide in Christ, you produce fruit. If you abide in Christ, you experience the pruning of God. So you bear more fruit. If you abide in Christ, you have your prayers answered. If you abide in Christ, you have a deepening love for Christ and the other believers. If you abide in Christ, you experience joy. All of those are found in John chapter 15. And while that relationship is seamless in the wild, the vines don't ever think about, you know, you go out and look at a grapevine, go look at any other vine, go look at an oak tree, the branches never think in their day, I'm going to separate. I mean, it's just natural. But for you and I, it's not automatic. And as you stand today, I would tell you that to abide in Christ is something you got to work on.
everyday. Everyday worship. Everyday meditation on God's word and reading. Everyday prayer. Everyday sacrifice. Everyday service. But oh, what you get when you're connected to the great I am. I wonder if you could close your eyes and just for a moment think, meditate, pray, whatever it is that you need to say. But think on these seven I am statements in Jesus' name. Father, we love you today. Lord, we love the word that you have given us. And I'm so thankful that you spoke with your own voice. I am. I am. I am the light of the world. I am the bread of life. Lord, you told us I'm the good shepherd. I'm the door. I'm the vine. Lord, you said I'm the way, the truth, and the life. God, you showed your purpose. You showed your your reason for coming. You showed your power. You showed your divine nature. And Lord, in each of those, I must have them applied to my life. Lord, would you give us strength to walk through it. In Jesus' name, amen and amen. God bless you. Go with God and go with his mercy. In Jesus' name.